morning, 11 o'clock service. It's good to be here with you all this morning. There was a five-year-old daughter of a preacher that noticed that her dad always paused and bowed his head for a moment before starting his sermon. She was very curious about that. And so one Sunday afternoon, uh, she called him and she said, dad, I always notice that you do this. Why do you do it? And the, and, the, and the father was just so honored and so struck by his sweet daughter paying so much attention to his sermons and to just being observant around this thing that he does and feels called to. And he said, well, sweetie, I do that because I asked the Lord to help me deliver a good sermon. And she paused and she said, daddy, why doesn't he answer that prayer? <laughs> Oh, hey, we are in week two of our series called Teach Us to Pray, where we are doing a deep dive into what Jesus teaches us about prayer in this fascinating chapter, Luke chapter 11. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn there with me, Luke chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app with you, a couple of options, you'll be able to follow along with the words up on the screen, but you also have time right now, pull out your phone, your device, um, go to your Google Play Store, App Store, download the YouVersion Bible app, and uh, you'll be able to load it up and get to this, this text before we even get to it. Luke chapter 11. We kicked off our series uh, last week with Jesus teaching us the mechanics of prayer, kind of giving us a how-to guide for, for prayer. But I'll tell you, in, in my experience as a pastor and as a person who is just following Jesus myself, trying to work through all of this, I've found that for most of us, our greatest question about prayer is not necessarily how do you do it, our greatest questions about prayer are more along the lines of, does God hear me when I pray? <laughs> does God care about me enough to listen? Or does he just have more important things going on that he needs to tend to? More important things on his plate than my little old requests. And I think a, 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 another question that is kind of similar to this, it's in the same vein as, does God work when I pray? Does, does prayer work? Does he move into action when I cry out to him? Or do, do my prayers just kind of go out of my mouth, go as high as the ceiling and then fall back to the floor? Does God work when I pray? Does it move him into action? And, and if so, then what about those times when it just seems like he is so incredibly silent? When I pray and I pray and I pray and it just seems like God does not answer. That he's almost distant. I'm telling you, if you've ever had a question like that, one, you're in good company. You're, you're not alone. Many of us could stand up here today and said we've wrestled through some of those very same things. Maybe wrestling through it even right now. But two, we're going to be tackling some of those questions over the next couple of weeks in this series. But first, I want to start just with a recap of last week. Jesus is praying, and when he's done, his disciples say, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And I think the, the heart behind it is because they, they watch Jesus pray, and they realize, man, we have never seen anyone pray like that before. We don't pray like that. That's not how we've seen our religious leaders praying. So Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And so he gives them his model for prayer. So it's a, it's a model that Jesus uses a couple of different times when he's teaching people how to pray. We see it first in Matthew chapter 6 um, in the Sermon on the Mount, and then we see it again here in, in Luke chapter 11. 
and, and before he gets to the prayer, and we're, we're, if you've been around church for a little while, or, or if you even have like someone in your family of faith, even if you're not really someone who believes in this stuff, you're probably familiar with this model of prayer that Jesus gives. You know, it's that um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have trespassed or sinned against us. Uh, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if you, if you use the King Jimmy version, then you know, and for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. And before Jesus gets to that part, that model for prayer that he gives us, before Jesus gets there, look at what he says in verse two. He starts this way. He says, when you pray. Now that's the new international version. The other NIV the new Indiana version might say something like this. When y'all pray, <laughs> because the word, listen, I'm a Hoosier too, okay? I mean, it's, it's, it's just part of it. I could have said when yins pray, uh, get a little bit more closer to home. But that word you in this passage is plural. This is a prayer that the entire faith community shares. Jesus isn't just teaching his disciples on that day how to pray. He is teaching all of us, giving all of us this model for prayer. So every follower of Jesus from then until now, even those who will follow us, this is our model for prayer. And as we pray this model that he gives us in Luke eleven two 2 through 4, we are allowing our hearts, and we talked about this last week, we are allowing our hearts to find rest in our heavenly father. We are aligning our wills to his. We are saying, Lord, may the things in this world be as you intended them to be and would you use me to make it happen? And we are learning to trust him for all of our needs and surrender all of who we are and who we are becoming and who we were, surrendering all of that stuff to him. And so Jesus continues his teaching on prayer by telling a story and it starts in verse five. Look at it with me. Luke chapter 11, verse five. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, hey, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
So in this verse, Jesus tells a story to make his point, which is kind of a go-to teaching technique for him. We, we know these stories as parables, and if you've, you've been a student of the word or have sat through you know, any number of sermons before, you probably know what a parable is. If this is your, your first time, maybe you understand a little bit, uh, but just to kind of make sure that we're all on the same page, one of my favorite definitions for what a parable is, is that it is an earthly story that tells an eternal meaning. It's an earthly story with an eternal meaning. And so Jesus tells a story of something that could happen here on earth to describe something that is eternal, to describe what God is like or how faith works or how those principles and peoples that are valued to the kingdom of of heaven, how all of these things come together. And in this parable, Jesus is teaching us just a little bit more about prayer. And the story that he tells is steeped in some cultural traditions and customs that are a world away from the lives that we live here in 2021. And so to understand this parable, there are some things that we must first understand about Middle Eastern culture that would have been just a part of their daily lives. And so as Jesus tells this story, I mean, this this would have been the image that they had in their mind because this was the life and the environment and the culture in which they lived. And first, in their culture, hospitality was a crucial obligation. It wasn't a negotiable. This, this is a culture that highly valued hospitality. And so a visitor passing through, even if it was unexpectedly, could count on a friend to provide them meals and a place to stay for as long as they needed it. And some of you are like, yeah, I've, I've got kids that are like that um, right now. Uh, it might be time for them to go ahead and move out. Uh, wearing on my hospitality. But in this culture, anyone was welcome uh, to stay for as long, and, the, and the, the host would have the obligation of providing for all of their needs. Second, a visitor would not have been just a guest of the individual or the family hosting them, but of the entire community. And so when someone hosted a guest, it was the collective responsibility of the neighborhood to be hospitable to that person and to go out of their way to make them feel loved and welcomed, even if they didn't even know them. And so that's kind of a little bit of the culture that Jesus is speaking to. He's also speaking to an honor-shame culture where avoiding shame and seeking honor is the top priority for people in their lives and in their communities. It was their moral code that they tried to, to live by. And so if this man's guest was not properly welcomed, it would not just bring shame upon him and his family. The whole village would be humiliated by a bad report of their hospitality. And so this man has a friend arrive at midnight. He has a place for him to stay, but he doesn't have any food. People would typically cook enough food just for what they could, could eat that day. And so he'd probably already gone through his food that he had prepared. And so he was in a bit of a bind. But knowing that it's a community's responsibility to host any guest. He just goes to his neighbors, he knocks on the door, and he asks for some bread. Now on the other side of that door is a man who most likely lives in a one-room home and shares a bed with his entire family. And that bed was probably elevated up on a platform that was above the, the main living area. And they would have been locked up for the night, which was no easy task. And since it's midnight, they were probably all sound asleep. Any movement on his part would have disrupted all of that, would have caused everyone in the house to to wake up. And if you've ever put a kid to bed, you understand why this guy responds the way that he does. (laughs) 
Basically, he says, go away. Like, don't mess this good thing that we have going up right now. But the host isn't giving up. He knows that this guy has bread in his house because he probably smelled it cooking that evening. And so he just keeps banging on the door. Friend, 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 I need some of that bread. I need some of that bread. And the man in the house, half asleep, probably thought you can stop using that word friend because you're no friend of mine right now. But finally, because of his neighbor's audacity or because he doesn't want to be put to shame for not hosting a guest in his community or because at this point, everyone in the house is already wide awake. The man in the house gets up and he gives him some bread. And so at the end of the parable, the end of the story that Jesus shares, the guest is fed, honor is restored, and the guy who gave the bread probably spent the rest of the night trying to put his kiddos back to sleep while searching Zillow for a new place to live. So that's the setting of this story. But what does it mean? What, what eternal lesson about prayer is Jesus trying to teach us here? Well, I think it starts to come together as we identify the characters in the story. Of course, you, you have the petitioner and you probably put it together pretty quickly that this represents us coming to God in prayer. Coming to God, recognizing our need and our dependency upon him, even for the simplest of things like bread. And then you have the neighbor, and that's got to be God, right? Well, yes and no. So I think what Jesus is doing in our story is something that he does in other places, including in the story that he tells just in the next couple of verses, the story that we're going to look at next Sunday. Jesus is, is not comparing God to this man in this story. Instead, I think he is contrasting him. He's contrasting what God is like compared to this man in the story. He's basically saying, listen, if a grouchy half asleep neighbor is willing to do what is right, how much more will a gracious God respond to request about your basic spiritual needs? Which is what the bread in this story represents. The bread is not anything that we desire and we pray for. And Jesus is not teaching us that if we just annoy God enough with our prayers that he'll eventually give in and, and give us what we want. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. He is saying that when we come to him for, for the most basic spiritual need, we will find a door that is open. Jesus is teaching that God is no grouch. He is our good, loving, caring, heavenly father who is not put out by our request or annoyed by our knocking. God is approachable. He is gracious. He is generous. And he's ready to hear and respond to our request. God delights in you. And you may think there is no way that God could delight in someone like me. But let me tell you, one of my favorite lessons that Paul teaches us in Romans chapter five, there's a lot of meat to chew on in that chapter. It's a great chapter. One of them is Romans five, verse eight, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, meanwhile, we were still living a life apart from God, when we were still following our own will, our own ways, we had no interest in surrendering ourselves to him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
If that does not prove that God delights in you, then I don't know what will. And he longs for you to come to him, not just one time by, by surrendering and, and, and identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection and baptism, not just that one time. He desires for you to come to him again and again and again to keep knocking, to keep asking, to keep seeking him in prayer. And taken together, the Lord's prayer and this parable show us our total and complete reliance upon God and his care. That no matter how in control we think that we are in this life, we are utterly lost without him. Many of us know what it's like to walk through this life and put on a brave face. And yet on the inside, on the inside, we are crying out for help and we are searching for hope. We realize that we cannot provide ourselves or others what we need most, that we must come to the Lord for help. And we can choose to walk through this life alone or we can place our hand in his hand and we can walk with him. I think it's, it's part of what Jesus is teaching in the Beatitudes, the beginning of that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that they have nothing on their own and, and they are hungry for more of God, that they need more of him in their life. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That God will never make us, he will never turn us away hungry for more of him. And the promise of this parable is that when we ask for more of God's peace and presence and power in our lives, he will graciously, generously, and abundantly provide. When we surrender our lives to him, when we confess our need for him, our father will never turn us away. He will never abandon us to our guilt or to our shame. He will take us by the hand and he will give us everything that we need for the moment. Even if it's not everything that we want. A couple of weeks ago, I shared my struggle um, with depression and, and anxiety. And since then, I've had um, some friends who, you know, I know are, are concerned for, for me and, and you know, my kind of well-being, um, reach out. And, and their concern, one, was just to make sure, hey, you're doing, you doing okay. But two, they, they said to a person something to the effect of, Man, I sure hope that nobody uses that against you. I think it teaches me a couple of things. One, there's still a stigma around mental health that, that we need to overcome. And two, I think that it shows, yeah, you know, in the heat of an argument or being upset about something, it's absolutely a weapon that somebody could use against me to inflict further pain, and that might happen. I want to tell you, the risk was absolutely worth it. Whatever comes my way as a result of it, it's absolutely worth it because of those that I've heard from in the last couple of weeks, the emails I've received, the notes that I've been sent, the hallway conversations in between services that I've had with you as you have shared your own story with mental health struggles, as you have shared the story of those that you love who have been dealing with this. One person told me after the service that day, Sean, I have prayed and prayed and prayed for God to take this from me, but he hasn't. And she said, so instead, I've started praying for God to walk through it with me. 
And he's answered that one. <laughs> and we'll wrestle next Sunday with how to walk through those times when God seems silenced. But, but for our purposes today, I find comfort knowing that when we ask for more of him, he gives us more of himself. When we seek the Lord's face, he promises to be found. And when we knock on his door, he does not tell us to go away. He opens it wide up for us, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, and no matter how late at night it is. And so as we pray for more of God's power and peace and presence in our lives, I just invite us to, to commit to these two things. Number one, be bold. Now the man in this parable asked for three loaves of bread in the middle of the night. It was a bold, audacious, specific request. And I think in doing so, in, in, in telling this story, Jesus is giving us permission to pray in the very same way. So be bold with your prayers. Be specific with your prayers. Be audacious in your prayers. Pray with a sense of dependency and humility but don't shy away from God thinking that he has more important things to tend to than you or that he doesn't want you to approach him or that he sh you should only approach him when you're in dire need. Don't let prayer be your last option. Make it your first. Be bold. Take it to God in prayer even before you try to solve it on your own. And, and I'll tell you, that's a lesson that I'm still trying to learn. <laughs> For the last several months, God just has been impressing that on, on my heart more and more. And it started with a lady at our Bedford campus who was in the final stages of her battle with cancer. She had chosen to forego treatments and uh, choose quality of life over, over quantity at that point in, in her stage and development. And one Sunday morning, it was a spring morning, kind of like, like today, I was outside underneath the awning that we have at our Bedford campus and uh, just kind of saying hey to people as they were walking in for worship that day. And in comes Robin walking through the parking lot and I see her and my heart's just, just it's, it's just breaking for her, knowing the struggle and the pain that she's in, but you would never know it from the smile on her face back when you could you know, see those things before we had to wear masks. And as she was walking in that morning, I just couldn't help but say, Robin, it takes so much strength to go through what you're going through right now. And I'll never forget it. Robin looked at me and she said, no, Sean, it takes a whole lot of surrender to go through what I'm going through right now. And Robin had found the joy of surrender in the midst of this battle for her life. And since then, I've been trying to make this my first response rather than my fourth or fifth or ninth or 10th. <laughs> I've been trying to make my first response to just surrender to God instead of trying to control or try to fix everything. I can't tell you how much joy and freedom I found in my life by putting this into practice. There are so many times when something will happen and the control freak in me wants to come out and start making it all right. And I find with my hands, I'm wanting to just do this and fix it. And what I'm learning to do is instead of this, just to do this. And say, God, you're in control. You are the one. You are the one that can solve the world's problems, not me. And so God, I'm gonna need you to take this one or I'm gonna need you to give me a whole lot of wisdom to know what to do next. And I cannot tell you 
how much joy and honestly, how much fun I am having as I'm learning to surrender more to him, just looking back and watching him work and move in ways that I never would have anticipated. So be bold. Let prayer be your first option, not your last. Second, be persistent. If you want to experience more of God's peace and presence and power in your life, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That's actually the verb tense in verse 9. It's to keep doing what you are already doing. Don't give up in prayer because here's the thing. Sometimes God is doing something in you before he does something for you. There, there is something, some kind of character development that God does in us as we persist in prayer. He's, he's teaching us how to surrender more to him, how to walk by faith as we go through this life. And so be persistent in prayer, learning to trust that God is always working for your good and for his glory. And those are two things that he cares a whole lot about. And so you can trust in him. And so does God hear you when you pray? Absolutely. And there are times he may seem silent or like he doesn't care, but in those times, all you have to do is look to Jesus. God sending Jesus is proof of his love and his compassion for you. And because Jesus was our perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin and to bring us back into a right relationship with God, the author of Hebrews is able to write this in Hebrews chapter four, verse 16. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Be bold. Be persistent. Approach God's throne with confidence knowing that he hears you and that he cares for you. And the reason that God's throne of grace is open to you is not because of anything that you have done. It's because of what Jesus did for you through his death, burial, and resurrection. As we close this morning, we're going to move into a time of communion where we get to remember and focus on Jesus. Remember what he did for us and focus our hearts and our minds on him and remind ourselves that no matter what we walk through, no matter what comes our way, we do not have to go through it alone. God is with us. And communion helps us remember his love and his grace for us and experience his presence that is with us once more. And so we're gonna close in a time of communion and then we're gonna sing one more song. And at the end of our service today, as, as others are going out the doors, if you're ready to take your next step of faith, if you're ready to find the joy of surrendering to the Lord, giving your life to him, finding his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation, if you're ready to take that step that we just saw the four folks take this morning in the baptistry. And like Quentin said, today is the day. We've got stuff for you to change into or we can just get in the baptistry as we are right now. It doesn't matter. Don't leave today if you're ready to make that decision, to cross that line of faith and to start following Jesus and to find his grace, his forgiveness and his mercy for you. And so if you're ready to take that step today at the end of the service, we invite you to come. There'll be a couple of us that are right up here and we would love, love to lead you in that decision today. Won't you pray with me? 
Father, thank you so much that you are near. That when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, you do not avoid us. <laughs> you do not make excuses. You do not turn your back on us. But Lord, you answer. You move towards us. Father, I'm so grateful. And I just, I pray that, that today we will all just grow in the joy of learning how to surrender more to you. That we will be bold in our prayers, that we will be persistent in them and that Lord, we will want nothing more in our lives, nothing more in our lives than more of you. Because Father, that truly is all that we need. So thank you for this time to remember, to reflect. And Lord, I pray for that person today who, who maybe wants this to be true in their life, but they're not sure that it can be. Lord, meet them where they are right now and do something powerful in their life today. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.